0: This is Power Players with Dan Clark.
1: This is a podcast interview with mega successful restaurateur and cereal entrepreneur, Michael McHenry. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author and high performance business coach. Where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my friend and entrepreneurial hero, everything he touches turns to gold, Michael McHenry, founder, CEO of TMG, the McHenry Group, which is a progressive Utah-based boutique restaurant group focused on experiential concept creation and forever challenging the industry's status quo has created seven viable brands, including Dirty Bird, Sunday's Best, Ginger Street, and opened more than 65 restaurants, creating over 2,500 jobs. Talk about social responsibility. Talk about adding to the economy and making everybody else around him better. He's sharing his life and climbed to the top of his industry, giving us an inside glimpse into how he sold his first self-built business at the age of 19 and how this 39-year-old industry disruptor has honed his skills in all aspects of culture building and high-performance operations from startup to multi-million dollar enterprises to create national award-winning concepts under TMG's crest that has changed the course of the restaurant industry forever. Hi, it's Dan with Power Players. One of my favorite things is to interview people that you really have always been curious about because they're always at the biggest events. They always have the best seats. They're always at the galas. They're always participating in the charitable fundraisers. They're larger-than-life characters that seem to stay under the radar until you actually get to know who they are and the motivation behind their, their constant striving for success. My guest today is Michael McHenry. And yeah, I asked him first. The first time we met, is that a stage name? That's just way too cool. Dan Clark, I sound like a freaking cereal box. Michael McHenry sounds like a star. He sounds like a Shakespearean actor. And then when you see this larger-than-life character in shorts today <laughs> and kind of a, a, a medium Deal, T-shirt to make him look more buff than he really is, he's actually fit. He actually focuses on becoming the best version of himself physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, and financially. And because this podcast is about finding those who are power players, who are willing to share their secret sauce with us so that we too can click off this podcast episode and do what they have done. If we think like a serial entrepreneur, if we think like a restaurateur extraordinaire, if we think like someone who's willing to roll the dice and take calculated risks and with the motivation What can I build that will improve everybody around me, not just the the community, not just our opportunities for social interaction, believing that food really is one of the love languages. Here's our guy, Michael McHenry, started way back in a very interesting story, (laughs) background story, as an athlete looking at him as a stud muffin, hunk of burning love, he chose not to be that football, basketball, baseball star as a teenager. I don't even know how to start, except ask, asking you the question: <laughs> What the world were you thinking, becoming a professional bowler, dude? Listen, got, I got to I got to keep you you could everybody be an on NFL their. NFL linebacker, ah. and you're a bowling champion. <laughs> I got to keep <laughs> you on your toes, back.
0: Dan. I got to keep you on your toes and spoken like a true coach, brother. <laughs> and I'll tell you what: during that time, I mean in the in the late nineties,
1: and how old were you?
0: Uh, well, let's see. I started bowling when I was 11. And where were you? Uh, Sandy. Okay. Like I grew up you in go. Sandy, but I, I really cut my teeth at Junction Bowling Alley. They were bowling alleys back then, not set, not centers, uh, in Midvale. And then I really, uh, progressed at the Ritz classic on 21st South and state. So I grew I up in Sandy, uh, went to high school, uh, in the Sandy Midvale area as well. But in the nineties being in high school, dude, and you're 6'2, 225 pounds and you don't play football. That was a weird deal. And then you got to say, like, you're a bowler. So you want to talk about, like, building self-confidence of things that you're doing. <laughs> like, listen, I had to I had to justify my sport even today, <laughs> you know, over time. And and uh, honestly, I've, I've never been a professional athlete in anything else, but I can tell you as a professional athlete, when you play at that level, no matter your sport, there's just a discipline, right? There's a discipline uh, and just a, a, a unique set of skills that are developed. There's a, there's a unique... Uh, Type of behavior, right? Tenacity, uh, drive, consistency, practice, discipline, failure, fast failure. Um, But also,
1: but also a focused regimen because of quality control. I've bowled. We've all bowled. No question. I think my highest score ever was like a sixty-two. Actually, I'm being facetious, but to (laughs) actually be able to roll that ball, spin it in that specific way. But to do it consistently, had to condition your mind and your eye-hand coordination and your focus on quality control that eventually helped you become this serial, serial. Yeah, I mean, I really Dan,
0: I had no, I had no idea how oriented I became and programmed that became a part of my DNA over time. When your main objective is to knock all ten pins down. On but the then, first roll. But, but then right. on
1: the but but when it doesn't happen, then you immediately have to go into passion, creativity, imagination, innovation mode.
0: Totally. There's no question. And I think there's so many variables in that sport that it allowed me to like really work to control my environment, which made me a great leader. Like really understanding that like at that level, everything matters. Temperature, humidity, type of oil, pattern, elevation. Like it's all physics, right? So it's it's all about creating energy. And so the reality is all those things. I started really becoming, I would say, obsessed with the environment at such a young age that it just became natural to me. Okay, that so- I paid attention to temperature, to cleanliness, to uh, like dynamics. I was understanding elevation, not because I was at, like, I was out there hiking or that I felt like it would mess with my air or my intake or my breathing, but how it would affect the revolutions that I was creating on, on what the bowling ball or that type of equipment, whatever it might be. And it just, that was happening at such a young age that um, as I grew into business, I realized that I had this, again, unique set of skills that I had developed and earned and honed over many years of my life through in professional sp- sports. Through
1: spaced repetition learning, totally. but not just. But proving true that practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. And I think it's okay. perfect
0: practice, right? Exactly. I think the reality is, is like the disciplines. I showed up every single day for years, not a month, not a week, not hours. I mean, i bowled well over 30,000 games.
1: Okay, so let me interrupt. You're a yeah. huge Utah Jazz fan. So <laughs> so I bring a couple of our mutual friends sure, yeah. on the other side of the court, and we're texting during the game, and you're right under the basket. We're right under the basket. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> but you always make the jumbotron because you make everybody else around you have more fun than we did. <laughs> Listen, amazing se- section two
0: doesn't mess around. I know. I agree. Yeah.
1: But our memories service correctly that – we had certain jazz superstars being jazz fans for so many years. One of which was Jeff Hornacek, who came to the foul line every time with a specific disciplined, mm-hmm. exact routine. same routine. Yep.
0: Every time, no matter what.
1: Bounced the ball three times, wiped spun it, wiped his forehead. Yep. And he became one of the legendary foul shooters, sure. free throw shooters in the NBA history. As a bowler, what, did, what routine did you go through when it was your time up on the lane what did you do mentally to prepare you for that next role? How did you connect your head with your heart and your arm and your fingers, putting all these different equations into play that you say, yeah. humidity, rotations sure. of the ball? Teach us, because I think that's significant to the following questions. How, What, what routine did you... Did you understand, did you learn, did you create, and that you (laughs) followed at such a young age that prepared you for what you're doing now at age 39?
0: All right, you're asking me a big question up front, and I'm I'm prepared for it. And then you also just have to realize that it took me time and years to understand how to tap into, like, my heart and understanding. I went dark. I didn't high-five you. I wasn't winning sportsmanship awards. Like, I walked in, understood my environment, and checked out. Nothing else mattered to me but winning. Zero. Like, I, I never... Dan, one of the absolute best competitors in the country. I never won a sportsmanship award. Now I'll tell you, I'm a huge team player. I love my community, I love my teams, and I stand up big. Bowling, it was a solo sport, right? The reality is, there were team events that were like secondary to the main event, right? And to me, I was always your friend until the lights turned on. And when my feet touched the wood, it was all business. From a young age, it was all business. So the reality is I didn't look at you, I didn't talk to you. My whole goal was to put you out of your misery as quickly as possible. And when you put yourself into a space like that where you realize that it's your access to not only winning, but to change your legacy forever, I realized that at a super young age that it was my shot. Did I believe it would be my entry to entrepreneurship? No. But what I do know is I put myself into a place where my only outcome was to win. Every time. And if I didn't win, I went back to it. And so the first thing mentally is I checked out the, the, the rest of the environment became blurry. It's like when you see photography and they zoom in on the main plate, but everything else behind it's a blur. That was it. Like I literally saw the pins. That was it. Like the, everything else to me was a blur. And that's true. It's why I don't do it recreationally. I actually don't know how to show up and just have fun with the friends bowling. Like showing up drinking beer and, and bowling with the friends, not an option for me even today. So I just don't do it. I honor it, I support it, I love it, but it's a really dark place for me.
1: I love it. Okay, so let me interrupt. Yeah. <clears throat> we've all heard therapists and <laughs> podcast hosts and speakers. That may not
0: have been the response you no, were I looking for, but that's it, that's true.
1: No, because it, it's fundamentally true. It, it, it's, it's where success and significance begins and ends. Think about it, because we've heard therapists we've heard coaches, we've heard all the experts say, be present in the moment. You got to be present in the moment. And so the question is, if you find someone, if maybe it's yourself who's not present in the moment, it's because the present sucks. So we medicate, or we try to live in the past, which causes depression and regret, or we live in the future, which causes worry, stress, and anxiety. But if you're present in the moment, And you can block out the rest of the world and focus in on what can you do right now. It's amazing how that right now turns into the next right now. No matter what your past has been, you have a spotless future. You can't always control what happens, but you can always control what happens next. Yeah. So don't ever again, bro, bro to bro, ever (laughs) make apologies for being the intense. Oh, no, totally language. You showed up at that line of scrimmage in a bad mood every play. Uh, And if you weren't mentally prepared, you make up stories that guy across from me that defensive, I mean, that offensive tackle, he raped my sister. And right now in this moment, I'm going to teach him a lesson. You block out the crowd noise. I get it. I love yeah, what you're no, saying, I, it Teach us, man. Keep for, going. For
0: me, it was it was really clear. I didn't realize. Again, I, I referenced this because I connected a lot of these dots years later. Oh, yeah. It just was alignment, right? And obviously, I had some some God-gifted talent. There was an ability for me that my hand and eye coordination is still, I would say, pretty remarkable given the fact that I don't work on those things consistently. Beer Pong, I'll smoke you. <laughs> like, if I stand in one place and I start, like, hitting the basket, I'll just hit the basket over and over again. It's just I have the ability to control it. I also trained my muscles. My hand grew crooked. See it? Because my most comfortable position is this. I trained my fingers not to bend. See the difference? Wow. So because that, that yeah, creates I more friction. Football. Yeah. And you're all broken. <laughs> you're all broken up. But the reality is I trained the muscles. I had to learn, you know, your trigger finger with oh, the yeah. gun. I had to learn those motions because I had mentally, you'd think just pulling a trigger is so easy, but like working with Jimmy story and others, like really understanding the mechanics of shooting. That's been a process for me because i had to retrain the right side of my body to do that. Right. And so I'm so used to like this finger not doing anything. So like, now that's the one that's supposed to pull the trigger, right? It's just, it's just interesting uh, dynamics. Point here is that sport taught me so much, not only from being goal oriented, not only from disciplines. I mean, I fractured my pelvic bone from repetitive motion. My muscles pulled my pelvic bone apart when I was 15 because all I wanted to do was bowl. Nothing else mattered to me. Nothing, no one, nothing and no one. I say that candidly. I was in the dark space. The space that you hear the greats talk about, a space that you can relate to. Like, I can relate to being in a place that's like you are so committed to the outcome that you can taste it, you can feel it, you can walk it. Like, I want to, I could picture myself holding the trophy before I had it.
1: Okay, so let's interrupt. And by the way, I
0: don't know that anybody else, I can tell you just based off of the ratio of how much I won and others people didn't, that the fact is, is it was rare in my sport at that age. And especially in our market.
1: But... To your point, it's rare in every sport. So that's why you read uh, Tim Grover's book on winning, and he focuses no and question. explains Michael Jordan, yep. Kobe Bryant, D. Wade, what made them different. and I.
0: He talks about, he references those individuals as cleaners. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But he would
1: say to all of us, so what is happiness? And we say, oh, it's joy, it's okay. fulfillment. And he said, no, it's pain.
0: Yeah, totally. It's
1: work. It's sacrifice. Well, that's what he said. It's like, what does meaning? What does winning mean to you? You got it. absolutely. I took my.
0: I took my. So glad you bring this up, Dan. I took my crew through this, like a bit of that. Like I took a couple quotes from him and took my crew through that. And I actually said, like, I went around the table and like asked each person at the table, like, what does meaning winning mean to you? Gave them a few minutes, came back to it, triumph. You know, there were there was a lot, and I and I got my chance, and I was like, I literally, I'm I'm getting emotional. I'm literally getting emotional. It's on film. The whole team's there. I'm getting emotional. And I'm talking about the fact that it's lonely and painful and dark because I know what you go through to compete at that level. Like no one else is in your living room you know, in the hallway my family, had would have a lot of choices when I was a kid. My dad had worked out trades and all kinds of stuff to either repair machines or provide fasteners or things like that to pay my bowling bill at the, at the bowling alley as a kid. But in the hallway, I can't tell you how many holes I put in the wall. Cause I'd be on my knees with the mattress or pillows at the end of the hallway. And I'd roll the ball down the the hallway at home, wore the carpet out, wore the furniture out because I just, I wanted to be so good at my mechanics that I, that just you, you get in that machine play, but I would do that till I literally would pill blisters in my hands. And then I would learn how to retrain that muscle so that I wouldn't earn the blister. I don't want to build the callus. I wanted I to understand where I was squeezing the ball because anytime you squeeze, you create more friction that, that jeopardizes the revolution that jeopardizes your consistency. I mean, I basically turned myself into a machine.
1: Okay. So let's talk. So yeah, <laughs> I was appalled. I played football for 13 years. And the first time I sat in the stands as a fan, I was appalled of how oblivious these folks were. Yeah, to what you're going through, every hit. What I would learn, and I learned quickly to remind them that not every play is designed to score a touchdown. There's nothing more insignificant than the halftime score. You know, momentum is only as good as your next play. All these wonderful metaphors and lessons from football, but. Danisms. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. But the thing that blows my mind that consistently happens in every single sporting event is someone would say, "I'd give anything if it, it, I'd give anything to be Tiger Woods. I'd give anything to be Michael McHenry. I'd give anything." And the comment and the response, based on what you're teaching us, has to be, "No, you, no, you wouldn't, or you would have."
0: But by by the way, you know, entrepreneurship happens to be my favorite sport.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: And I will tell you this because much right now. Because you turned
1: it into a game.
0: There, I'll tell you this much right now. I see it. I see it every single day in business. I see it every single day with people's lives. I see what people go through. I've seen what I've gone through. I understand the wake I've created and the wake that I've smoothed. I understand the journey from how do I tap into my dark side because it's never going away. Like it's it's literally in there. And it comes out every time something competitive is in front of me. Being a jazz, We say, hey, you're the ultimate jazz fan, dude. I've been a season ticket holder for one year.
1: Oh my God! One
0: year. So just think about that. That's just that's year one for me. Wow. So when I got in that stadium, I went, I'm your biggest effing fan. Absolutely. And I made sure every player knows, every cameraman knows, every concierge knows that no one loves that team in this community more than me. Absolutely. And I don't care if you've been there for twenty five years, and I honor Absolutely. those guys. Or you've been there for thirty years, yeah. or you've been there for ten years. Like section two, row two is my row.
1: Absolutely. That's my row. Okay, so let me Take us a little deeper. (laughs) So statistics indicate, national statistics indicate that 80 to 85% of family owned businesses go bankrupt by the third generation. And that's because this young generation goes from opportunity mindset to entitlement mindset. And they refuse to subscribe to the same core values and the same work ethic and sacrifice and service before self and customer experience that grandpa and grandma subscribed to that allowed them to dream the dream, build the business, grow the business, yep. and pass it on. So to your point, is your, and I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm a motivational guy. When you say the dark side, <laughs> yeah. no, bro, it is not the dark side. It's bright the bright side. Right. No, it's the bright side. It's the bright side. I'm telling you yeah. what. So, if so you can teach us, this, this is my point. It is such amazing information that you've already disseminated in the short yeah, few sure. minutes we've been talking Two questions come up. That's one of the core values. That's one of this, the, the most illuminating truths that every entrepreneur must embrace if they want to be successful and then take it to the highest level of significance as you have. So that's that's what's missing in these third-generation family tell you businesses that go bankrupt. And here's the second question. Can you teach it? Can you train it? There you go. Well,
0: here here's what I'll tell you someone who leads young teams, Mm -hmm. right? I will say like, I most definitely, there is a high level of sophistication and experience, I think, and academics at certain strategic positions of my teams. But I would say the majority are, these are first jobs. These are in transition. These are, Uh, college students that are serving tables. These are, you know, these are individuals that I'm a step. Typically my businesses are a stepping stone, right? How many people do you meet that have worked in restaurants? Almost everyone. They've been bussers. They've been dishwashers. They've been servers. They've been bartenders. They've been barbacks. They've been hosts. They've been hostesses. They've, they've been cooks. They've been chefs. You know, there's a reality that works. and, And why I believe I'm in this business, Dan, is because it affords me the true opportunity to work with all walks of life and that's important to me. I love that. I also love that my business, it actually doesn't give a shit who your family is. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in, what school you went to, or what your background is. It cares about how you show up. And so when you ask me, like, what is the big kind of denominator in a sense, right? The first one is, is I feel like the, what his softening society is that, that the majority has forgot how to work. And our grandpas and great grandpas are upstairs and they're rolling around in their graves right now, literally saying, you're all a bunch of pussies. And I just say it the way it needs to be said. I feel like I have a stewardship. I have a responsibility to pass that on. As a millennial who's sitting here, who works his ass off every single day, who's rolled up his sleeves and has completely disrupted the family tree. Has completely, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who decided it was gonna be different. I'm the guy that said, I'm going to go and make this difference and make this impact. And there's no question that there's casualties. There's no question that my family, one side of my family looks at me like all I do is work. One family believes I owe, one side believes I owe them everything. And the middle layer is like, teach me.
1: Absolutely. And
0: my responsibility right now, I believe as a father, as a neighbor, as a community member, as, you know, an influence potentially is to share the message that I believe the biggest common denominator of the successful is work ethic. And you can teach people how to work. You just need to do it in the fundamental years. It's why my daughter is 11 years old and works twice a week. And I have no problem anyone that wants to challenge me that anyone who wants to try to like say child labor or put me in a courtroom. I can't wait for that day because <laughs> I will fully justify and prove oh, that that is what's necessary because. Summer ended early for me, like week one, and my grandpa put me to work. And I see it generationally. When my grandpa was healthy enough and the first layer of grandsons and granddaughters, I'm telling you right now, pretty overachieving group. Business owners, professors, uh, like I'm talking successful. Successful CPA, successful developer, successful professor, successful restaurateur. I mean, the list goes on. And then I see the next layer that didn't quite get that development. Still good kids. They're my family. I love them. But 25, figuring out what they're going to do. 30, starting to kind of get into it. At 20, I was hell bent. (laughs) At 15, I was young and competitive. At 30, I was like, I'm going to make as much money and earn as many choices as possible no matter what. And now I'm turning 40. And... Growing up, learning how to work super hard, I wasn't actually the smartest kid. I'm actually still not the smartest one in the room. I actually appreciate that, but I can tell you right now, very few people, if any, will ever outwork me in something that I'm passionate about, whether that be athletics or that be this weekend and I'm running a Spartan last year, my goal in the Spartan was to finish this year. The Spartan is to place in my division, which dude, there's guys that dedicate and gals that dedicate their entire lives to it. I'm like, I just hired a team around me and I show up every day. Like, did I want to get up this morning at 5 a.m. and run to the reservoir, back to the parking lot, run to the reservoir and back to the parking lot and then start my day? No, honestly, I think walking and talking with some friends would be way more fun. But I did that because at the end of the day, I'm gonna show up for me. I'm gonna keep that commitment to myself. And so that work ethic is is a huge deal and I have a responsibility. And Elle said to me, as I finished this thought, last year, like near the end of the summer, she's like, dad, like none of my friends work as I'm driving her with me. And typically she's pretty excited. And this year, dude, there's no doubt she's excited about it. But last year towards the end of the season, she's like, or the end of the summer, she's like, dad, none of my friends work. And I said, they should. So let them know. Like they'll start around seven to $10 an hour. And this is the kind of work, you know, the type of work that we'll do. And we talk philosophy. We set behavior. We set that. mindset. We get with mentors. They clock in, they clock out. They, they communicate with their leadership. I pay, right? But Elle actually doesn't know that Sunday's best is not paying her right now or the Oak's not paying her right now, but she shows up, she's expected to execute like the rest of the team at 11 years old because I believe that those are the fundamental years that we learn how to apply our effort, that we learn the disciplines. And do I believe that you can kind of retrain or establish or maybe even habilitate (laughs) because if you don't know it yet, then I think you can can learn it. So I'll tell you that-
1: And unlearn and and relearn.
0: Totally. And so that to me- is so damn important. Like just show up and be unwavering in your commitment and your pursuit. And I think you just do those things. You just do okay. those things and you have a tremendous head start on the majority.
1: Okay, so this is <laughs> this is such a perfect segue. Yeah. So with your restaurants and your seven major brands and employing twenty five hundred folks that we talked about in the official over 2,500 folks, job creations, we talked about in the formal introduction. I want to take us back to the, 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 the comment you made that this is kind of a transitional job, that people are in college, that they're, it's a stepping stone opportunity to find themselves and you know, and graduate, pursue their, their dream, their, their career, get the job that they dream about, not just the job that's left over. But
0: you want to talk about the conversion? (laughs) I want to talk because what you've got going, my friend,
1: is the ultimate training Mm -hmm. program. You've got the ultimate software package that ties into humanity, that ties into the human spirit. that proves true that even though they're working in your environment, even though you're focusing on what you want to do to build your brands and and disrupt the marketplace, which you're so successful at doing as a restaurateur, If they just pay attention and listen and learn about going to that dark space that we've now illuminated as the light space, the right space, the positive space, because you did it, they can also do it if they are willing to think like you think and put in the work ethic and the focus and the discipline necessary so that even though they think it's a transitional job, it's just one step in their transition knowing that you don't begin with the end in mind. Let's begin with the why in mind. Let's take us back <laughs> to when you were bowling at Classic with the giant bowling pin yep. on State Street. Yep. And what happened as you became a bowler and as you became an as you had an opportunity to 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 start the 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 bowling piece at Fat Cats. I don't want to just yeah. play play the game yeah. without you teaching yeah, us sure. the, the parts of the game. Take us all the way back, in the in the mindset, that this with the work ethic, focusing in on, as you call it, the dark space, going block blocking out the rest of the world. You went from here to here. Got the opportunity at Costa Vita. Got the opportunity was introduced to the restaurant world based on what you've been talking about that you learned from bowling. (laughs) Totally. That now just immediately and automatically transposed into being one of the greatest entrepreneurial
0: spirits I've ever met. Thank you. What you're talking about, Dan, is the reward center. Like that's what we're talking about now. And that's why I believe I've been, I think, uh, a disruptor in the space and why I've been sneaky good as a, as a restaurateur and now concept tour is because my goal is to really build and create opportunity for others through my vision. And so my actual goal is not to gather a bunch of great servers around the table. My goal is to gather a bunch of great people around the table and teach them how to be even better. And, I'll tell you that that platform, that stepping stone, many of which started with me as a server making two fifteen an hour, and now we're making $125 one hundred and twenty five plus thousand dollars a year. Or when I hired you originally, this was your first job in the states. You're here on a work visa. You are making ten dollars an hour, and now you own part of your own restaurant and you're making $150 one hundred and fifty plus thousand dollars a year. And you've moved a quarter of your family here and created that opportunity and legacy, and lifestyle. And so, creating and building better people is sort of my selfish reward center. And when I say it, you've, see, you've read about this with me, you've been with me enough to know that I act in this form, I don't just say it, I act in the form that the greatest investment is the one that we make into others. And when I truly realized that, which happened from a few people believing in me and giving me a shot and applying myself and executing on that vision and that opportunity, that changed my life forever, and not just economically, like emotionally, physically, mentally, and then realizing that if I can do it, then I know anyone can do it. I know where I grew up. I know the choices I had and that I didn't have. I also realized that I barely graduated high school, like barely. Well, right, like I, like they're, my they're... friends
1: thought seventh grade would be my senior year, <laughs> so we can relate at <laughs> yeah, that Yeah, and level so, too, bro. so the reality is,
0: I know that. By learning a specific and yet general set of skills and going all in can wildly change your life forever.
1: So I teach people
0: every single day. Teach coach it. lead.
1: And the reality that is... Was that was another reason he gave himself to show off his guns. I know him <laughs> yeah, so well. Like, like, Let me just show you my dad. Oh, I got yeah. another... I'm like, come on, Likes dude. It in. But
0: what's beautiful about being a teacher, as you would know this, uh, Dan, and being a coach in many ways is that I think the greater and the greatest beneficiary of that development happens to be the teacher oftentimes. And I just saw this again, the stewardship and responsibility to help other people truly win because I know what it's done for me. And as I gather people, as we build these tables and well over 150 team members currently at this point are close to it, uh, I will tell you this, my direct layer, if you sit at my table directly, you have to be relentlessly committed. Otherwise, it'll be exhausting for you. Otherwise, if you challenge the philosophy, you just won't last. But if you believe in it, and you believe in it, my hell are you all in. And the ones that believe in it, they really take full advantage of it. And they realize that I'm not selfish about the business that we create. I'm abundant in the opportunities that we create and the outcomes we earn together. And that, to me, is a recipe. That, to me, is a recipe. The method is our activity, right? But the cake that we bake together tastes damn good. It tastes so good. And so, to me, it's really about championing others to their fullest potential. And it just so happens that if my goal, which it is, and my mission is to champion others to their full potential, then I'm on my game every day. I'm turning 40 on Sunday. I feel like this is a dad comment and I'm a dad. Obviously I'm, I I think I'm the world's greatest girl dad. No question. I'm turning 40 right now and I am sharper, healthier mentally and physically and spiritually by a mile than I was at 30. And at 30, I was just a dipshit who was like relentless. But I can tell you this much right now. As a kid, I had very little, which made me dangerous. I didn't have a lot of choices. I was relentlessly committed, as I mentioned to you. I wanted to make as much money as possible. Having my house in order makes me unstoppable. You got it. And it's like, dude, it's why I sleep like a rock, I have all these kind of secret weapons that you earn over time. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs. I meet a lot of people in business. I meet a lot of people in my business that are stressed out all the time, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. They're on meds. They're on all kinds of shit. My medication is I hike every single day and I get in an ice bath every single day and I never wake up or go to bed without telling the people that I love that I love them. Period. And in between, dude, I just know I'm going all in. I love it. And that's like, this is what I know is within your direct control. And if you're gonna eat like shit and treat your body like shit and treat your people like shit, then your outcome's gonna be shit. But if you prove to the people that you love most, then hopefully you love you more than you love anything else. Because if you don't love you the most, you can never really give that to anyone else. And And dude, I I hard fought that for a long time.
1: And what matters most is what lasts the longest. So,
0: Dude, I'll tell you, some of the times that I've made the most money in my life, Dan, I've been the most alone. Oh yeah. And I've stood in that space And that wasn't too long ago for me, Mm -hmm. right? My journeys, being separated from Christy and the realities of the relationship and a lot of stuff that went on there. And I had to get really clear. And I jumped on the phone with a mentor and friend about a year ago or so. And we're talking about potentially coaching and getting on board and, you know, the guy's very present everyone, I I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people know him in the Utah market and, and you know, he's got, he's got a great presence. He starts questioning me and he said, listen, dude, I'm not going to teach you how to scale your business or make another million dollars. You have that like on lock. He's like, no one's going to teach you that, or at least I'm not going to teach you that. But if you want to get really serious about becoming your best version about not just working on this like self-convincing or artful self-narrative that you tell yourself and you tell the people around you, but you want to get serious about your life, I'll do it. I'll do it with you. And he asked me a series of questions, dude, and I didn't have the answers. And he said, as soon as you get those answers, we'll go to work. I got it. Call me. And what was kind of interesting is I was about to wire this guy 60 grand to work with me. And he said, you hear, I'm not working with you until you can answer these questions. And he actually became a friend afterwards, um, during the process. I actually never wired him the 60K. We became friends, we've talked about ventures together, we've worked on it. And of all things, he sent me a message today, and said, hey, you know, I'm proud of you, I can see the work that you've done. And I say all of this because we spend all of this time, and let's create this great brand, let's create these great, you know, revenue streams, Let's, let's have these big impacts. But at the end of the day, if you have this character, and this character, and that character, and at the end of the day, you're alone, and you're miserable, and whether you want to be alone, because I think there's there's health and well-being in learning how to be alone. I'm actually a bit of alone. Well, you have a dark spot. There isn't a lot of people that can live in that danger zone with you, uh, I agree. and so just understanding how to balance that, right? But I found myself going, I actually don't want to be alone. <laughs> I actually want my family, and I've realized that I put everything in front of them, right? You're meeting the father that grew out of being a great provider is turning into a great father. You've got to meet that transition. But the five-year-ago me, unless you were talking strictly business, I'd have no business being on your podcast. I because you. I just, I didn't give myself a chance to think about those other things, right? I like compartmentalize that. But now there, there's a weapon, right? There's weaponry, weaponizing in having your house truly in order.
1: Absolutely, and making me reflect and all of our listeners viewers reflect you know the guy I was in high school at least at the beginning of college I would have never wanted to be friends with him you know it's it's one of those we really do validate that we become the average of the five people we associate with the most and I discounted that for so long I I, I discount like people are like
0: build your network do this and I'm like I actually don't want to build a network with a bunch of people And now I actually want a network of people that I love and trust that I actually want to be with. And I started manifesting like, how the hell can you have a great marriage if all the people around you don't honor it? You got it. How the hell are you going to be a great dad if you don't hang out with great dads? By the way, I was good at surrounding myself with like business icons that actually put everything aside, right? For their business. And I went, and I understand, by the way, there's a price you have to pay. I don't believe anyone creates real sustained success without that. But I do believe there's a counterbalance. I do believe when it's like time to be dad, go all in. When it's time to be husband, go all in. When it's time to be boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, like father, dad, whatever it might be. I have relationships that I believe are very important to me that I sabotaged over time. I have some things to repair. I have zero regrets because they all taught me. They like, Each one of these moments, each one of these relationships, each one of these. Like, listen, dude, I'm the guy who's been like, Fired, cheated on, cheated, sued, broke, fi- like all of those. I've had all of those things. And I think there's a responsibility in following that. And I would still, I think, uh, do I honor and respect those versions of my past? No question. They're like where I am today. Would I change my journey? No, because I think that's a part of who makes us who we are. You got it. I'll tell you what, like my childhood and honestly, like being the asshole that I was, considered to be a bit of the asshole, that was highly competitive, that put, you know, nothing in front of winning. I won't change that. And those choices earned me and afforded me the opportunity to put my arms around the neighborhood. It's a big reason why I'm in the restaurant business. It's because it's connectivity for me. Like I plan and will continue to plan, execute, and provide and create the most connective and biggest dining room tables in every neighborhood that we serve. Absolutely. And that... There's a part of this. It's a part of my life mission now. And some of it, candidly, Dan, is uh, checking some old boxes. Yeah, 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 like yeah. high-fiving some people that, that I know deserve it, or I think that people that that uh, would appreciate it. I think it's my way of, of reconciling the past, as well as knowing that no one else I believe in our market can do it as good as me.
1: I agree. And, and, and as good as us. Unbelievable. It's and more than food.
0: And, and really creating space, right? Like, my places are about being seen. And my
1: experiential, places. <laughs> experiential dining.
0: I just, listen, food's romantic. Engagement's romantic. Like, we eat. It's a sacred duty, but we eat to celebrate. We eat it's to mourn. Bit. It's, it's emotional.
1: Re- it's not a return on investment when someone brings a, a business transaction to your restaurant. It's a return on experience because oh, they'll remember no that. No question. Well said.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no question. It's It's a... It's a sacred duty in many ways. And uh, I understand the responsibility of being that place of normalcy, right? I know the responsibility of being the place of what's familiar under times of of good celebration and oftentimes under uncertainty, right? We saw this with the pandemic and what happened, you know, over the course of the last two years. Dude, there were times in downtown Salt Lake on Broadway and State, I was the only person out there that I could see. My truck was the only thing parked on the sidewalk loading mills and delivering them to a hospital. And I know it cause I was the only one down there and I could park on the sidewalk on Broadway and state street two years ago. And I never got a parking ticket and no one gave a shit cause no one was walking on the sidewalk. Like that's reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you just continue to show up mm-hmm. differently, it's like me, it's like we all have reputation we all have past. We all have journey. We, I think a lot of people seek destination. To me, I just like, I just execute the plan. <laughs> and it gives you a, a different level of confidence when you're very clear on what success, you know, looks like. And as I'm knocking on the door of my 40th, I can say that this decade was the most important decade of my life. I was at my highest so far and at my lowest in this decade. Uh, I had more life-changing events in this decade than ever before. I invited many new people into my life and I removed many people from my life. I harvested and manifested greater relationships and and I fought for new versions. I fought for like true self-awareness yeah. and that's probably one of the biggest takeaways in this decade for me, I sound old while I sit here. I feel like I'm just as young as could be, but in this decade for me, becoming self-aware is such a, a weaponizing, you know, opportunity. And I don't say that with a negative. I say that with the most positive, because as you become more and more self-aware, you realize who you want in your life. You realize what, and then you know what you want, not just in terms of people, not just in terms of things, but we're like what makes you who you are,
1: absolutely. And then we get to
0: own those things. Yeah, we get to own those intricacies. Like no two of us are the same in any way. And and damn, I would just say like, whether whether people wanting to know that or not, self awareness is is um, uh, a remarkable <laughs> attribute.
1: And, and <laughs> so many things are pinballing through my mind. So one of the major purposes of having a podcast or having someone like us speak at a convention or whatever is to share an experience or tell a story that triggers in that listener something in their own life. They say, aha, that happened to me, or I could do that too. I want to, I can do it too by checking the box. So back to our conversation about being present in the moment, how many times do we celebrate being a multitasker, which is what an entrepreneur thinks they do. They think they exchange time for money when that's the worst thing you could do. You get married to your business and you lose everything that matters, as you're talking about. A true entrepreneur understands that you, you exchange ideas for money. There's no such thing as a financial crisis, only an idea crisis. Ideas create income. So you're the master. Your reputation is to challenge the status quo, disrupt what everybody else is usually doing in the restaurant business, but to not think like a multitasker, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. How can I do this? I'm losing my family. I'm losing my this. I'm losing my that. What would happen if we started thinking like a juggler who controls the ball? The juggler only controls the ball in his hand. Once you let go of the ball, you've relinquished control. So why worry about it? So if you need to catch the ball and be with Elle, your daughter, you need to catch the ball and be with your wife, be together as a family, focusing on one particular manager of one of your amazing restaurants. You have this ability to segregate and compartmentalize your priorities, obviously, in focusing in on what needs your attention right now back to, it doesn't matter what I rolled last time, this is a brand new ball, a brand new opportunity, and I still got two pins on this side of the lane and two pins on this side of the lane, the famous split, and now mathematically... And passionately, through spaced repetition learning, you can figure out what you need to do right now to take out all four pins. I congratulate you on that. My question, though, as I know more about you than our listeners do so far, um, you epitomize the six degrees of separation. I as well. I know I'm a professional speaker in the Speakers Hall of Fame because of two or three key experiences in my life where someone, Zig Ziglar, believed in me, who introduced me to someone who introduced me to Nancy Reagan, who invited me to the Reagan White House to take Mrs. Reagan's Just Say No program to all 50 states, which obviously illuminated and opened up another experience and another opportunity. When I look at my 40-year career, I believe I can boil it down to a maximum of six key individuals who provided six key experiences that changed my stars, that, that put me in a different direction. As we wind down our time together, I'm begging you to take us back to you working in, 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 in this bowling alley at the time and what that one degree of separation did for another degree of separation. They cut you back on how much money you were making in the, in the pro shop by giving you an opportunity to do this, to do that. Take us on that step-by-step journey, because I think I would be remiss as an interviewer, you, uh, an interviewer if I didn't illuminate to my viewers, my listeners, my followers, my subscribers, the reality of how you got to where you were, and it wasn't that hard. It required hard work. It required everything you've been teaching us But it wasn't rocket science. But it wasn't (laughs) rocket science, yeah. And I want people to click off this podcast and listen to it again and again and again, and realize that no job is a stepping stone job. If you focus in on right now, like you said, if you're making seven to ten bucks an hour and you show up at my table and you think I'm high maintenance as a customer, you shouldn't be working there. You got to be all in all the time. teach us about being all in at every phase of your entrepreneurial <laughs> totally. journey you got to tell the story it's unbelievable but it's easy if you're willing to put in the hard work listen actually no it's yeah. not easy it's simple so,
0: <laughs> it's there's a simplicity yeah. to it right and so there's a great book back. out there called insanely simple right they talk mm-hmm. about the realities of just keeping things simple and how you can create a masterpiece it is pretty simple to articulate uh there were a handful of moments and experiences in my life and individuals that believed in me and believed in a potential that I didn't know I had. And like I mentioned prior, is championing others to their full potential. But it started with my grandfather, right? My grandpa Larry, I get a little emotional still, dude. I'm 40 years old. I get a little emotional talking about it because at eight, nine, and 10 years old, I remember what it felt like. I had a 15-pound sledgehammer, and I'm, like, knocking out driveways and steps, and I'm, I'm working, excavating in the summers, and my grandpa's paying me at the time, like, $5 an hour, and he's principally not only teaching me hard work and just physical labor, but the conversations in the dump truck with my grandpa were shaping me as an individual, right? My dad and my mom, they're out working. They're trying to keep the lights on the house. They're working two jobs. They're doing their things. I, you know, grew up in a split family. My grandfather had the time and patience and experience to be able to mentor me. And so he not only taught me how to work hard, but he taught me the importance of hard work. And, and the conversations and philosophies were around that. I still have that sledgehammer. It has a piece of tape on it, says Bertha. I have it. In fact, it's about to hang above my desk in the new office, but I have it because It creates the association of hard work for me. The next one is that a gentleman named High Hudson saw potential in me. He was a professional bowler. My parents were split. I bowled at the Ritz Classic. I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, 11 at the time. Friday nights, my dad like bowled for late Friday afternoons with my grandparents. They went up, they got their pitcher of beer, he got the basket of French fries, and they bowled every Friday. And there was really nothing else for a kid to do in the early 90s in a bowling alley because you couldn't even play pinball because the pinball machines were in the bar, right? And so you kind of had two options, either bowled or three. You bowled, you ate at the snack bar, or you always included the snack bar, or you played pool. And I became a bit of a pool shark as well. But it took that guy, seeing that I had a bit of a natural ability, and said, he walked up to me one day and just said, hey, have you ever thought about doing this? And in my mind, I'm like, no. And he's like, well, you should. And just that opportunity, he saw something in me. He knew that I had enough timing, right? I had enough natural ability that if he could mentor me, I could become something. And I started vacuuming the floors in the pro shop. I started sanding and repairing bowling balls. And he was a car salesman, a really successful car salesman. I had no idea these fundamental years. I think I'm in here trying to become a pro bowler and he's actually teaching me how to be a salesman. And so I'm learning from a, from a very successful used car salesman at 12, 13, 14 years old, how to sell bowling equipment and become a professional. That's a recipe. Then I had another mentor, Sean Collins, that walked into my life out of nowhere. I'm talking, this dude had no reason talking to me. I had no reason talking to him. And he was the co-founder creator of fat cats and ultimately, he's the like chairman CEO of Costa Vida now. Um, it's just, geez, got to be a 200 plus million dollar company. And he walked into my pro shop one day. I was renting a space from him. And there's a lot of stuff in between. And he literally called me right out and said, you're way too talented to manage this pro shop. <laughs> and I was offended. Like, this is my whole life. What are you talking about? I've been doing this my whole life. I had one conversation with him, Dan. One. I never looked back. I turned the page. He saw potential. He said, give me 30 days. And the next seven years changed my life and my family's life forever. Forever. He just saw that potential in me. He saw I could do something. And when I stepped into it, I knew nothing about the food business. Zero. I had never managed a team beyond the four other people plus me on a bowling team. Zero. I stepped into that and every bit of the leadership that he saw in me, I hadn't applied.
1: So it was in the bowling alley and the restaurant in the bowling alley. And he just said, leave the pro shop and come and manage this restaurant. He said, he said,
0: he said, we have this vision. And back then that vision was Costa Azul, which is now Costa Vida. And he said, we want you to be the first general manager.
1: Of a Mexican restaurant in a bowling alley.
0: In a Mexican restaurant in a bowling alley. At what age? 20. There you go. 20, I was 20 or 21, somewhere in that range. And I went all in, and I mean, all in. And trust me, I failed way more than I won. But those few wins were substantial, right? And those failures created that, created
1: that person. Just like playing golf.
0: And when I got into that, I had no business being in the restaurant business, honestly. I had no business being in the brand business. I didn't even know what that meant. I, didn't even, I couldn't even spell entrepreneur back then. And the reality is that I became obsessed. I became obsessed with success. I became obsessed with impressing my mentor. And you kind of fast forward to the space that we sit in now. And those next series of mentors those individuals, and the many people along the way, the people that touched me. But those three were like the pivotal. A lot of people invested in me. A lot of people have believed in me. A lot of people have supported me, right? My dad, he's like my, one of my biggest cheerleaders. He has the most massive heart, calls me every single day for no other reason. If I don't answer, he leaves me the same six second voicemail every single day, every single day, every single day. He calls to tell me he loves me. My dad doesn't think the same way about business about success. My dad just has a massive heart. He's comfortable, right? I'm not comfortable when I become comfortable and complacent. I'm self-sabotaging, but I feel like right now I feel I'm clear. I feel like I know my responsibilities. I feel like where I am, but someone saw that potential in me and I took full advantage of it. And so when you say like, what, what do you revisit in this podcast? What do you, what do you listen for? And I believe that there's a few lessons here. And I think the first one is whatever you commit to, commit an unwavering pursuit, no matter what. The next one is- with
1: marriage, parenting- It doesn't matter. Whatever commitment you
0: make, whatever commitment you make, if you make a commitment in that investment, go all in. If you make a commitment in that relationship, go all in. If you commit that you're gonna remove that from your life, go all in. If you commit that that's gonna be a part of your life, go all in. Whatever that is, just commit all in, all the time. Absolutely. right? No matter what, move with your entire heart, no matter what you do. The next one is only take direct control of what you have direct control over. When you talk about a, a society of entitlement, it's because the society, the society of entitlement wants to have a comment, an opinion, or a reality of everything. But those that are empowered realize that they have a specific reason and purpose and they're all in. And so many of us want to control the ocean instead of learn how to surf the waves. Like anticipate the weather, baby. Like get on the right length of board, put the right wax on and get after it.
1: Don't run from the storm or have a dance in the rain. I'll
0: tell you what, like run towards it. I think the other side of it too is that sometimes you got to paddle with both hands to catch the wave you want. And when you're unwavering, you'll get there. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you want to be a a doctor, a brand builder, a chef, a lawyer, whatever it is, a fireman, an influencer, a mom blogger, a dad. I don't care what it is. Be unwavering in that and make sure that you're always paddling with both hands to catch the wave you want. But here's where I am now, Dan, and this is true. When I listen to you talk about your daughter, when I listen to you talk about my daughter, right? When I listen to the conversations of the guys that I hike with every day, I feel like the next big mentor, the next big shift in my life is gonna be a dad. I think there's a dad that's showing up in my life right now who's Mm -hmm. gonna help me see that my work is about being the best girl dad there is to my little girls, that I make sure that I'm that guy. And that when they're grown, right, when when we continue to progress through this life, I feel like this next journey for me this next person that's going to show up that I'm manifesting right now is recognizing that everything that's led up to now is principally there for me to guide, to be the lighthouse, to be the beacon. And bro, I, I wish I was telling you more about brands and the restaurants, the newest brand that's, that's going to open two months from now and know. the next ones that are coming out. I feel like I'm, I'm ripe. I'm in a transition right now. There's a reason why I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not the lightest. I'm not the skinny fat. But right now, I am more physically and mentally capable than I've ever been. Ever. But I also put more work into that than ever before. Ever before. And um, I- I'm excited to see how the rest of this journey really plays out. I'm excited to wake up every day. And I'm not taking it for granted. Like absolutely. I'm absolutely not taking it for granted. That's for absolutely. damn sure.
1: So, <clears throat> Michael McHenry, <laughs> entrepreneur. One of my uh, best songs I've ever written. used to get a lot of radio playing. It's It epitomizes you. I wrote it about my sweet dad, and you've never, you've never used the word father in the lyrical hook of my song, Special Man. Any male can be a father, but it takes a special man to be a dad. Mm. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to chat so people know the heart and soul behind an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, And when you go to any of your restaurants, the interesting thing to me is that there's always the same exact return on experience, regardless of what's on the menu. And that is a complete reflection of you. Thank you. And I know that every single person subconsciously has been trained to treat everyone as if they're the most important person that's ever walked in that door, because that's how you treat others. It's such an honor.
0: It's 40, we, we talk about this, Dan, with our team and our philosophies, but there's 4,700 or so restaurant and bars in Utah operating. So when someone walks through our door, it's 4,700 to one.
1: Absolutely. Like
0: it is 4,700 to one yep. and we just don't take it for granted. We don't take the breath. We don't take the opportunity. We most definitely don't take the vote yep. of the wallet or the advocate for granted at any point. And I think, and when we do, we own it.
1: Absolutely, tongue in cheek. This is the funniest experience, <laughs> but the most profound way to conclude this entire podcast with Michael McHenry. So, and they're expensive restaurants. Of course, you pay for what you get. And I go to one of your restaurants, name a, a, a title and name unmentioned, <laughs> and it's a business meeting with five people who have come in from out of town. And I pay the bill, obviously. I had to finance it. You know, I had to go get a night job and <laughs> a paper Indeed. out. Experience creation we has to, a cost, brother. We have to tip very, very well. <laughs> and then I run into these guys about three weeks later. And not one of them remembered my name. They introduced me to someone else and said, this is the guy that took us to Provisions. <laughs> This is the guy that took me to Sunday's best. This is that they remembered the experience in your restaurant over the conversation and business transaction that we engaged in. If that's not the best marketing story you've ever heard, Uh I remember he took us too because of the experience and the return on that experience. And I thank you for your training. I thank you for your life. I thank you for your love. And uh, the best part about it is that we're friends off camera and I can't wait to just spend more time with you and your family. Well,
0: likewise. And I appreciate the space. I appreciate um, the opportunity to just be real. Yeah. I didn't come in here with anything on my kind of heart or, or mind, at least of what I knew. Um, you didn't send me a list of questions in advance. Never. Uh, in fact, I, I think those are the best podcasts. The one oh, where yeah. you sit down, and you just get after it and you get in flow and and um, I'm realizing more and more that my podcasts, my experiences, my engagements in these public forums are becoming less about brand. You can walk in my restaurants and experience that. You want a case study on how to do it? Walk into Sunday's Best. Absolutely. And I say that candidly. No, I love
1: if it. If you
0: really want to understand how to build a how to build a brand for people, that's the one. Yeah. If you want to understand that they, everything's dirty, there, Dirty go, Bird ain't dirty bad. Dirty Bird, Is yeah. Go go see on. it. Yeah. They're they're. All, I mean, geez, they just opened in Centerville. Oh yeah, a two lane car, you know, see, with a drive through, and it's going nuts. But I see getting on these platforms and having an opportunity to just speak from the heart, not worried about what gets published, not worried about how it needs to be cut. There was a time in my life, it's like, send it to me in advance. I want to listen to it. Listen, whatever you, whatever you cut from this and you get out, I stand behind because I'm saying it with an open heart. So thank you for giving me that platform, Dan.
1: And you just brought up another conclusion. <laughs> if you show up at a restaurant at a meal with three by five cards, oh, yeah, nice to meet you, Bob. I mean, Michael McHenry, is so good to be with you. And you reach into your pocket and pull out three by five cards to respond. If that's not the world in which we live, I don't know what is. It's so refreshing to have someone who is off the cuff, who's always the same off stage as you are on stage, in the kitchen as you are out serving the uh, Thank you. The, the, the public. And I honor you. Likewise. And that's the best compliment <laughs> I could pay you is that you are the same exactly. At the jazz game, as you are in your restaurant, as you are in a podcast, as you are on the street,
0: as I am in my living room, which might be exhausting from time to time, but it's just who I am, man. Unless I'm sleeping, this is exactly. I suppose you're exactly exactly
1: the same as you are sleeping. You're like, (laughs) I gotta sleep fast. I gotta sleep fast. I
0: I hear that I don't talk about like souffle clubs full of you know guacamole and smothered burritos anymore. (laughs) There was a time that you you know I dream about that, but I you know the reality is there's probably a lot more unicorns and and uh Rainbows. you know lakes and all kinds of really cool shit happening in my mind because i wake up pretty refreshed dude. in
1: spartan finish lines i can't wait yeah. to hear back okay <laughs> happy ready birthday for god Thank bless you, you the serial entrepreneurs yeah. entrepreneur and uh hopefully you listen to every step-by-step process and system of success that you actually illuminated and um Thank you. Much more than I anticipated. Exceeded our (laughs) expectations just like you always do. Thanks,
0: bro. Hey, bro. That's what we do. Much love, all. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.